Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Yes, Dennis, I guess I'm everything healthcare, right? I've been in the healthcare industry for almost 32 years now. Why I chose the healthcare industry, it gave me the opportunity to pursue my professional goals, but while at the same time being able to do something for the world, being able to give back. And in the healthcare industry, we are in the unique position to not only help provide for our families, but also be able to help the lives of millions of people around the world. And so that's why I chose healthcare. I had the good fortune of working for some of the greatest companies in the world, companies that are now Sanofi, Aventus, Pfizer, Roche Labs, and most recently, Becton Dickinson and now NASCO Healthcare. I feel very privileged that I had the chance to work in these organizations to build the leadership skills, mobilize teams, and ultimately have that impact around the world. So I'm really excited to be on this podcast. I do believe that the world is changing. It is a very fast-paced market, and I believe that leaders need to adapt and change as well. Yeah, I totally agree, Ken. And Ken, tell me, let's talk about a little bit about healthcare, as you said, and leaders, because are leaders really looking after themselves well enough? I mean, they, they're working long hours, they're under a lot of stress, pressure. As you said, the world's changing. So both from a social perspective, technology, business, it's just changing so fast. Are leaders really looking after themselves well? Probably not as well as they should, Dennis, right? You know, leaders are like an athlete to some degree. You know, they're, they're highly competitive, willing to give everything in which they have to be successful and have a tireless appetite to succeed. And as a result, you probably work a little bit longer than you should. You probably miss some school events, whether it be dance recitals or sporting events. You probably don't get to take as many vacations with your family as you would like to. But at the same time, you're probably satisfying a lot of those professional goals and objectives that you have for yourself. And hopefully at the same time, being able to put your family in a position to be able to reach some of their goals and ambitions. Hmm. And for you in your career and your the different executive roles that you've had, how have you worked or in the work-life balance? How have you done that? Hey, it's, it's really, really difficult, Dennis. I, I believe that you've got to have a work ethic, which is second to none, to really have an impact around the world. You've got to have a commitment to practice the best habits, right? And you don't get to do those habits three days a week or five days a week. You've got to wake up every morning with the desire and ambition to make a difference. And as a result of that, 
appetite, that desire doesn't stop at 5 p.m. Therefore, it goes deep into the night and sometimes transitions into the weekends. But what I would say is that I've got an incredible support network, whether it be my wife, which is my absolute best friend. She enables me to be able to do the work in which I do and commit myself the way in which I do. As well, I've got a team that I work with that definitely has the capability and talent to be successful, as long as I'm there to give them the resources and support to be able to achieve their objective. Tremendous. Thank you. There's some real strong insights there, our listeners, as we're listening to Ken as he's sharing his his experience there around how he does the work-life balance. And, you know, it is interesting because we all are under pressure and we we do find things. And people go, is, it, is there a difference between work and there's a difference between life? Well, that is your life, isn't it? It's part of your life and it's, it's all part of it. And it's a package, but it's really interesting. So, Ken, how did you get into leadership? You know, I assume that my mom and dad kind of prepared me to be a leader all of my life. They gave me enough independence and enough support to allow me to venture out, take risks, fail, learn from those failures. But at the same time, they were there to support me during those failures. And I think as a result of that, that helped to build the muscle, the leadership muscle in me. Second, my mom always told me, be a leader, don't be a follower. You set the path. You do what you think is best for you. And third, my grandmother always told me, listen, you can do anything you put your mind to as long as you're willing to put in the work. So therefore, I think that from being a youngster, I started to develop some of those leadership skills. But in my professional career, I just had the great fortune of working for some great companies, some other great leaders that saw something great in me, and they were willing to invest, groom, coach, mentor, and guide. And as a result, I was able to elevate into different roles. Those roles, Dennis, are really what helped to shape me into the leader in which I am. It's those individual experiences, whether it was the first role I had as a sales consultant or being the worldwide president of the diabetes care business unit at Becton Dickinson. Each of those experiences helped to shape me into the leader in which I am today. Yeah, tremendous. And wonderful to see the foundation there from the family side, of course, and then you building on that. And as you said, it's about having that support network around you first of all, around the family, and then, of course, and through the corporate world and, and helping you, and they seeing something in you and helping you develop as well, which is really, really important. And I think the other thing I say to people too, Ken, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is for a lot of people, they rely on the organization to develop them. And I'm like, don't rely on the organization. Do what you need to do to develop as a leader. How have you done that over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you have have to have an insatiable appetite of curiosity, right? You've got to want to continuously learn and develop. So whether that be reading leadership books, taking a leadership course, observing and monitoring the behaviors and decision-making of other leaders that you respect and value, asking questions to gain understanding, not to be understood. All of those things, I think, help to shake me into the leader. I also wanted to go back really quickly, Dennis, to the work-life balance and why I'm able to do that. I mentioned my wife being my best friend, but she is equally as passionate as I am about my professional success. 
as I am. And as a result, she is motivating to me. She's inspiring to me. She is my greatest sounding board when I'm facing challenges at work. And she gives me perspective and helps me make better decisions. Yeah, tremendous. And I, and I love it. That's a real special thing to have in your life in the sense that when it's a thing, a person to have in your life and also that ability to bounce off each other. And I really like what you say, just as passionate as I am about it, right? And yeah, that's really good. So Ken, you've, you mentioned before about some leaders and I don't know whether it's one of these ones that you're going to mention as you mentioned before, but this person could be alive or from history. Who would be your favorite leader and why? Yeah, you know, that's a very tough question, Dennis, but I have had the chance to work for some amazing leaders, whether that be Fred Hassan, Carrie Cox, Ed Ludwood, Vince Berlinza, Mike Valentino. I've had the opportunity to work for them and learn from them. But I would have to say that my favorite leader, whom I never had a chance to meet, but I've read a lot about, is Dr. Martin Luther King. And the reason why he's my favorite, Dennis, is because, in my opinion, he was authentic. He was a genuine leader. He was purpose-driven. He was inspirational and motivational to people around the world. And he was resilient, right? And he wasn't willing to quit. And he was fighting for something that was bigger than just himself. And so as a result, I choose Martin Luther King Jr. as my favorite. But there are many. There are many. Yeah, and isn't it interesting how his legacy continues, even though he's not here. And as you said, you haven't met him, but the thing is, it still continues. It's still there. And I think as leaders, that's what we need to do is we need to set up our legacy for the future and we do things. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And as I reflect upon Dr. Martin Luther King, his passion was fueled by his purpose, right? Mm. He wanted to make a difference in the world. And I think that that was um, food for him. It fueled him. And I, I, I'm assuming that that helped him overcome some of the obstacles, resistance, and challenge that he faced as he was making his fight. I was raised in the Bay Area of California back when, that in 1951, before things got crazy. And find myself now as a CEO of a company in the cancer business, and we our goal is to eliminate cancer. So I've gone from the beginning to the end through pharmaceutical companies and also through consumer products. And my claim to fame is, is I'm a financial guy, but really a strategic thinker. And I believe that strategic thinking is, is really the key to leadership. If you know where you're going, people will want to follow you, but you don't necessarily know where you're going. That's where you need to get the input from others. So it's kind of a circular argument. The point is, is that leaders lead and followers follow. And sometimes you can, you can actually learn how to lead by watching others. Leadership is not a God-given right. You don't wake up with a gene saying you're going to be a leader. You have to actually have the experience in your life to be able to make that happen. Kind of getting down a little bit of the track of where you want to go on this, but I've been, everything I've done, I've tried to, to be in a leadership role because my father imparted a kind of a wisdom in my mind way back in the old days was that if you're not going to be a leader, get out of the road, let someone else do it. But, you know, either, either you're a leader or you get the heck out of the way and you use some other terms. But it becomes a, a passion that when you have an opportunity to, to see the success of, of having others follow with you, not for you, but with you, it kind of generates additional momentum for the future. And it's, it becomes a, you, you learn from what you've done and, and what went right and what went wrong. And along the way, you figure out what you didn't do right, and you want to make sure you didn't do that again. Mm. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some beautiful things that you've shared there. 
strategic thinking is the key to leadership, and uh, that's really important. And Mel, do you see, well, before I go there, actually, let me just ask a question, because you actually said you you were in the Bay Area. So Bill and Dave, Packard and Hewlett, uh, Hewlett so the HP, that's where I was born, in the Bay Area there. Did you ever get to meet those two gentlemen? The uh, senior class president of my high school was Bill Hewitt's son. So that was that was cool. Though. So my next door, two doors down, worked for Hewlett Packard, and he was he went to the Colorado Springs plant and actually opened it back in the fifties. So the, there's a lot of similarities there because Palo Alto is a hotbed of you know new tech from the old, from the beginning. So my neighbors were from all sorts of really Lockheed and so forth. It was quite a hotbed. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've been in that area, I don't know, I was used to go so three, four, five times a year over several years in that, in that area to go to Palo Alto and that. And of course, we used to take some of the executives who flew in from around the world in different events that we were doing. We would take them to the garage and to the house there and see the garage and so forth. And either from a distance, every now and then we were able to get into the garage. That was very, very rare. And yeah, that whole place, as you said, it was just where a lot of IT companies and organizations are today and um, have been and taken off from there. So strategic side of things, the, the strategic thinking. Do you feel like today that a lot of leaders are working in that strategic place or are they very tactical in what they're doing on a daily basis? I think there's a lot more technical aspect to it because we're in that era. But I think that if you have a, if you surround yourself with with people who have a, a vision that, that they're looking, say, 30 degrees over the horizon, mm. you, can, can, you can only see so far, but you want to imagine what's out there and you can actually predict the future or you can see the, the evolution of, of where things are going. Generally, if you can then put that into writing or in, into a verbal or into it, somehow the people can, can follow you, you'll generate a, a following. I mean, you, you, there's leaders all over the world of, of people who have, you know, led countries into like in Germany, had a, you know, had a leader there, but they, they it was the wrong kind of leader. But nevertheless, there are people who really want to follow those who, who believe in the future. Or I'm, I'm clearly of a strategic mind, and that is that if you can have the most capable people around you, I call this, there's no cloned rangers. If you want to, I want to surround myself with the best and brightest people who have skills outside of my own, and that way I can learn from them and, and help um, determine the future by using their technology and their aspects and, and what they're envisioning. But it can't just be one leader saying, follow me. You've got to have a team and you've got to have people who believe in the overall vision and then be able to make it happen. Yeah, great. And I, going back to what you said there around the strategy side of things, I mean, a lot of organizations that I go into and I ask the, the senior leadership team, you know, what is the strategy of the organization? Can you tell me? And sometimes it's like there's crickets. You, there's, they're not sure on what to articulate it to me. How come organizations are like that? How, why do they, why are some of them, there's not just some, there's quite a lot of them not able to actually articulate the strategy to somebody asking them? Well, I think that sometimes the near-term profitability gets into, into the way of long-term thinking. And, you know, some people come into the company and they want to make a strike and and make a bunch of money on stock options and move on and sell the company. And, you know, those are, that's not really strategic. That's just, that's a tactical way to get paid in the short run. And you see a lot of those churning kind of companies. The legacy companies that you see out there now are splitting into two and splitting into four, like General Electric and others have been around for a long time. But they're now thinking about, does it make sense for us to be the same structure as before, the same thinking as before? Should we be better off in smaller buckets? I think that kind of thinking is perhaps a little novel, but nevertheless, it's not totally novel. It's been done 
oftentimes, but sometimes the leaders need to be able to say, the status quo is not good enough. We're going to have to do this differently. And, and how does that look? Let's do a profit loss on this. What kind of cash flow are we going to get? What kind of market share are we going to get? How, what kind of message on the planet will we have? How much impact will we have? So it becomes a much bigger conversation at the board, I'm sure, and at the executive chair about, you know, where the company's going and how it's going to get there. When you, I was with Smith Klein way back in 1982, when Allergan was sold, that used to be part of the business. It was, it was spun off and it was part of Smith Klein before it was spun off. And the rationale behind that was that the PE ratio of Allergan by itself was more than what the, the PE ratio of Smith Klein was. And so therefore, if you're a shareholder, you can enjoy that that lift as well as being able to get additional funding that you wouldn't have had before. And making, thinking out of the box allows for creative things to happen. And that's where leaders come in to be able to paint that picture for the future. Thinking outside the box allows the creative side to come in. Brilliant. I love that. And I'm actually taking a note here. Thinking outside the box, creative things happen. That's good. Mel, thanks for sharing so far around your experience and what you're seeing and so forth with leaders. My question to you is, how, how did you get into leadership? Well, I guess I had mentioned before that my father had an influence on me. And one of the things that he had said when I was traveling with him one day, we, we looked into the, to a Vespa motor scooter business in Amsterdam. And I, th I thought, wow, that's really cool. I want to get a Vespa. And I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And he says, you know what? You can have that Vespa. If you earn the money, you can have whatever you want. You want a Vespa, you want something else, you earn the money, you pay for the gas and oil and the helmet and the insurance and all those other things. You can, if you earn the money, you can get it. And so that became kind of a thinking process for me about how I was going to earn money. So it became a, I don't know, a way of thinking of being able to do multiple things. I was selling Pepsi at Stanford football games. I was a waiter in a hotel. I had a paper route. You know, I had all sorts of things that were generating income, and I was able to do what I wanted to do because my dad gave me the, the authority to do it. So in business, if you plant a seed in the head of your people about you, can, we can do basically anything we want to as long as it makes sense and it has a, a life to it that we can communicate, then we'll do it. So there's, there's risk and reward in life. And if you're able to, to have that relationship with your people, they're not going to give you cockamamie ideas. They're going to give you ideas that are going to be the right ones. And so you, you learn that. I learned that kind of at the knee. And then being involved with the community and volunteerism and, and being involved with sports, a lot of that comes because I was a guy who was the big mouth. I just put my hand in the air and say, I'll do it. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get a team together and go do it. And so those kind of things turn out. The adage I say, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. So while you're at it, be the best and do it right. If you're going to be a bear, be the grizzly. And if you're going to do it, be the best at it. Nice. That, that's right. I, I think that's probably hitting the nail on the head just there, because the thing is, is that some people, as you said before earlier on, if you don't want to lead, then get out of the way and let someone else get on with it. But then if you are going to be the leader or be the bear, be the grizzly and be the best that you can be at that. I think it's spot on. It's where people need to be world-class in what they're doing. They need to be and even if it's in a community level, do what you do, but do it really well. And I think that's tremendous. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 